Alrighty. Do you want to do some reading for us? Yeah, I'm going to read the thing. <laughs> All right. Late one July morning in 1874, farmers in Kansas watched in horror as the sun was blocked by a thick gray-green cloud. Children ran screaming as the adults rushed outside to combat the oncoming horde. They tried throwing blankets over their crops, they built gigantic bonfires. In desperation, they swung about with heavy shovels and mattocks, killing dozens of tiny invaders with every blow but there were simply too many. When the swarm finally moved on, not a speck of green could be found. They had eaten the crops, drowned by the hundreds in the wells contaminating them beyond saving, eaten the farmers' blankets, clothing, and the wool off of their sheep. Like an ancient biblical plague, they destroyed everything in their path and moved on, leaving behind unbelievable devastation and families who had lost everything. On this episode of Relative Disasters, the American Locust Plague of 1874. Yikes. Oh yeah. Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my sister and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events, their context, implications, and any related sidebars we get distracted with. I'm Greg, Chief Grasshopper Taxonomist at Relative Disasters University. And I'm his sister, Ella, Crop Diversification Strategist here at the Relative Disasters Institute of Agriculture. Uh, thank yeah. you for that. I don't love the image of sheep getting eaten no the sheep were fine just all of their wool was shorn right off of something them by the about that is so creepy though it's incredibly it's a creepy. lot of work uh, that, to uh shear yep. sheep and it's there's a lot of mass that comes off of sheep yep. i do not like the idea of insects doing that yeah disturb me more <laughs> sounds uh, great we're about to so background time uh grasshoppers have been around since the early Triassic period, about 250 million years ago. Really? I didn't know that. Did you know that? I did yeah. not. So Tyrannosaurus Rex could have been chowing down on uh, grasshoppers. Well, that's mostly Cretaceous, but yeah. Uh, you know the other thing I didn't know? What didn't you know? Grasshoppers and locusts are the same insect. Okay, see, that has always been confusing to me. We have locusts in the Bible, but oh, yeah. not grasshoppers. We have grasshoppers sure. in the folktales, but not locusts, so... Right, right. It's, it's They're one and the same. Yeah. Okay. Well, grasshoppers are usually solitary, just hanging out doing their grasshopper right. thing. But under the right conditions, they can breed out of control and create swarms, at which point they become locusts. Okay. And, and locusts are terrifying. Yeah. They don't eat people, but they eat just about everything else. Plagues of locusts have been around since... Like, human beings started writing things down. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Uh, there are records of them in ancient Egyptian, records of them in ancient Greek, ancient Chinese languages, and ancient languages from India. So not a new thing. Not a new thing. Slightly less these days, because most of the environmental conditions that they need to pull off the levels of gigantic devastation have been pretty much done away mm -hmm. with real estate um, is crazy these days the world is a little more settled yep. and uh but uh they are still out there and every once in a while a swarm will pop okay up. so 
you're saying that a swarm will pop up. Where yeah. do they come from? Because it's everything. Every time I read about locusts, they just like descend from the sky in a blanket. Yeah. But yeah, that's about where are it. They, yeah. They're not coming from okay. the sky, correct? <laughs> so, so basically, you need a couple of environmental conditions. You need um, two grasshoppers who situation... love each other very much. <laughs> no, you need you need a you need a situation where the grasshoppers. The first thing that you need is drought. Okay. What drought does is it shrinks their active habitat. Right. And in order for the species as a whole to survive, they get these chemical stimulants in their uh, set off in their in their feces and in their like hind legs Ugh. that basically drive them all insane oh, into this frenzy, into this frenzy of just mating and eating. That was not okay? what I was expecting. Yeah, it, this is what happens. Okay. And so what happens is it's a survival response to this and they will breed out of control. Even though they are looking at like dwindling resources. Exactly. Because they're looking at dwindling resources, they overpopulate gotcha. so that some of them will survive. Oh my God, that's such a bad design. Uh, it works incredibly well because what it does is it spreads them out over a huge area sure we can go with that so that they can have at least a target population survive so since one of the conditions that you need for a swarm is a drought mm -hmm. followed by some rapid crop growth sure. uh, to set off those chemical reactions to get them to overbreed and begin to swarm uh, in the midwest united states in 1874 the conditions were perfect for that nice drought nice crops yep uh, so we got to talk, first of all, about the Homestead Act of 1862. My favorite. We stumble across this stupid thing, I swear, so every times. 19th century It is a weird we little yep. thing. Uh, and basically what it did was, uh, for those of you who haven't read it, uh, basically what <laughs> Please it Please don't did, read it. It's... <laughs> I'm not going it's to not read it. It's not as fun as we're making it sound. It's very dry. <laughs> Uh, but basically what it does is it gives the adults, the adult heads of families, mm -hmm. 160 acres of surveyed land in the Midwest. Four. There are some provisos. You've got to live on it for five years and you have to improve it, which in this case means you have to farm it. Okay. Okay. You can't just like build a house there and be like, oh, good, a free home. You've got to farm it. It was meant, if I'm being charitable. <laughs> Please be charitable, Greg. <laughs> it was meant as a way to try to get people a fresh start and raise themselves out of poverty. But, of course, it didn't actually do that. If you were in poverty, you didn't have the money to build a farm. So even if you did get the land for free, mm -hmm. uh, you couldn't work it. Also, the act was worded so weirdly yeah. that a lot of the land was just taken by land speculators and business interests, not people who actually needed it. Mm -hmm. But still, uh, the American Civil War ended in 1865 and the Transcontinental Railroad was finished in 1869, allowing a bunch of people to move out west and get their fresh start. Yeah. The land also wasn't that great. Uh, this was prairie ground. So a lot of it was tough, hard to farm soil. Right. And then there was the economic panic of 1873, the brutally harsh winter that followed that, and a drought to start off 1874. There it is. And step one of getting locusts is drought. Yay. So, and then the Rocky Mountain locust arrived. So, 
The Rocky Mountain locust was a species of grasshopper that ranged through the western United States and southwestern Canada. Mm-hmm. And they descended on the rough farmlands of the Midwest in a swarm that can only be described as apocalyptic. This is not a new species, right? This is not a new species. They had been around. They had even swarmed okay. in years for years and years and years and years, just not like this. Okay. So they hit these farms. They ate the crops down to the stalk. Mm-hmm. They ate the leaves off the trees. Uh, one particularly evocative image was them eating through peaches, leaving the pits dangling from the branches. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Uh, when farmers would throw blankets and clothes over their garden beds to protect them, the locusts would simply just eat the blankets first and then eat the vegetables underneath. Oh, I hate that so much. Okay. Oh, it's it's okay. bad. Once the land was empty, they'd just go into the farmhouses. They'd eat everything in the cupboards and the barrels. They ate people's clothing, bedding, curtains, everything. Was anything safe? If it was metal, you were probably okay. And people. They weren't attacking people. They didn't attack people, no. Did they attack they didn't attack animals? That, no. Uh, the worst thing that would happen to the animals is the animals would uh, sometimes eat the dead locusts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it led to a lot of bloated animals that couldn't then be used for good food in the wintertime. Notorious so. bad for nutritional purposes. Actually, no. Uh, we'll get into that. Grasshoppers are excellent nutrition. Really? We'll get into that. Okay. Okay. Are they excellent so, nutrition after they've eaten all your blankets and your calendar and your <laughs> curtains? <laughs> so the farmers tried to fight back. Sure. Um, and they they would, you know, uh, there are instances of people setting off huge gunpowder charges, oh, firing into the swarm with shotguns, stuff like that. Um, the most horrifying instance that I came across happened in Kansas, mm-hmm. where a farmer and his family and their farmhands dug a trench around their farm, filled it full of oil and wood, and lit it on fire. Okay? Okay. That should work, right? That should work, right? Because <laughs> they can't, they're not immune to fire. No, no. Right? The swarm put out the fire with their bodies. Oh, no. Smothering the flames with millions of charred locusts and then ate everything. That's disheartening. Another another thing that farmers tried to do is they'd smear coal tar over their plow and okay. run it through the fields where it would get, you know, hundreds and hundreds of locusts stuck to it with each pass. Like flypaper? Yeah, kind of like flypaper. Okay. But with billions of them swarming over everything that barely made a dent great so we need to talk for a second about the sheer scope of this swarm please you keep using words like really big yeah it's it's if i'm not driving the horror home hard enough (laughs) please during the summer of 1874 the locusts swarmed from saskatchewan and manitoba in canada all the way down to Texas on the southern coast of the United States. They destroyed almost all of the crops in Kansas and Nebraska, and at one point, the physical swarm was so large that it covered an estimated 70,000 miles. Oh, dang. Okay. Yeah. Over the entire swarm, they covered over 2 million miles. The swarm was made up of an estimated 120 billion insects. 
And these are not tiny creatures, right? No, the they're about thumb-sized. Like, okay. Yeah. That's that's too many. Yeah. The the economic damage uh, was es- when it was all over mm-hmm. was estimated at about two hundred million dollars in eighteen seventy four money. Oh, that's nearly four and a half billion dollars today. So great. And uh, can I ask what stopped it? <laughs> if they can fly yeah. through fire. Yep. Oh yeah. That nothing. Nothing. Nothing would slow them down except finally the weather changed. There um, we go. Nothing. Nothing that the farmers did was enough to halt the swarm, but. Okay. Eventually, fall came, and in the cooler weather, to add to the horror show, the locusts began to threaten to derail trains. Oh, not possible. So this is this is pretty gross, and I kind of love it. Um, so what would happen is, in the fall, the railroad tracks would heat up in the daytime and retain that heat into the night, so the swarm would settle on the railroad tracks. When the trains came along, there'd be this, like, smear of Goo lasting for miles, oh, and so gross. because of that, the trains like had to be very, very careful around grades and corners. So it slowed <laughs> down a lot of things. Did um, it cause any accidents? Not that I could find, but I would not be at all surprised if they derailed a few of them. Can you imagine? Oh god, I can. Oh yeah, it's it's horrifying. Uh, just these like brown and green smears forever. The so most families lost everything. Mm-hmm. Even after the locusts had left, their corpses and droppings contaminated most of the rivers and wells that hadn't been covered. Sure. An estimated one third of Kansas's population had to abandon their ruined farmsteads and head back east. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. Families that elected to stay on had to rely on help from their equally devastated neighbors and many starved to death. Uh... So... Speaking of starvation, sidebar. Please. (laughs) There was a solution to the food problem provided by an entomologist from Missouri named Charles Valentine Riley. That is a great name. Okay. That is a fantastic name. Uh, And it was very simple. Eat the locusts. Right? I mean, it's protein. Right? They're right there. Grasshoppers are rich in protein and actually more efficient than beef. Really? Yeah. they, They give you more grams of protein per like weight than we beef does really be eating locust burgers then we not. really should be eating grasshoppers That's it's true right. um and they were just lying around everywhere so you know get a shovel dig in the lord giveth and the lord taketh away am i right he recommended them fried in butter and seasoned with salt and pepper <laughs> small sidebar salt small sidebar to the sidebar uh-huh. i have eaten fried grasshopper and they're really? actually quite tasty when did you eat um, fried grasshopper I ate fried grasshopper when I used to live out west. It was they had another locust swarm while you were there, and you got hungry. No, no, just uh, just something you could get at like a local shop. They were really, good. Uh, but for some reason, this never really caught on. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. He recommended that yeah. you fry them in butter, add salt, yes. pepper, and eat them yep. as yep. is, or, shell and all, legs and all, beady well, little no, no, eyes no. and pull, all. Pull off the legs. Okay. Fry them up in a little bit of butter and put some salt and pepper on them and crunch them down. I have to say, I don't hate that. It, it kind of reminds me of shrimp. A little bit. Honestly, yeah. th- like when they're seasoned up like that, they taste a little bit like crawfish. So, sure. Um, he also recommended that you could make a, a soup or stew with them uh, as your main protein source. Why so, not? Why not? Um, 
However, this, uh, as I said, this never really caught on. Uh, in fact, there were there was a quote I came across where farmers were basically like, I am never eating these horrible things. So, you know, I, I get that. I feel like Charles Valentine was ahead of us all there. He did he not was start ahead to of death. His time. No, no. Very good. So, uh, in the aftermath, state and federal governments did what they're supposed to do and help their citizens recover. Uh, various emergency measures were passed on the state and federal level, including mm-hmm. supplying free seed for the planting season of 1865 and deploying the army to deliver coats, blankets, and rations to families in need. That's pretty good. Yeah, they actually had a fairly okay response to it, and basically the, the families that got the help they needed made it through the winter. Okay, and the ones um, that didn't. And the ones that didn't kind of starve to death in the first couple of months anyway. And yeah, it's just awful. That is horrifying. Okay. Um, yeah. Of course, the 1874 swarm had laid trillions of eggs. Right. And in the spring of 1875, they began to hatch. However, Mother Nature came across the top rope with the steel chair here. Uh, because a late blizzard season and a hard frost wiped out the larval locusts and the farmers that survived the winter were able to replant their fields. Yay! Various states... Oh yeah, it was it was pretty good. Uh, various states offered locust bounties that summer. <laughs> uh, One dime for everybody. <laughs> uh, no, in some, in some places they went as high as a dollar a bushel. You're kidding! A dollar a bushel. Okay. Which, you know, as the summer progressed, slowly came down. The last one I could find was a nickel a bushel, but that's well, I guess if decent. you're not eating them, that's pretty good that's money. That's a good way to get yeah. rid of them, yeah. And by 1880, uh, the farms had fully recovered. That seems really quick. It was pretty quick. Uh, because they were able to replant as quickly as they were, and because the swarm of 1874 didn't lead to a following swarm in 1875, they were able to recover. But you know who wasn't able to recover? The Rocky Mountain Locust. Oh, are they endangered now? With its habitat destroyed, mm-hmm. the Rocky Mountain Locust became extinct. You're kidding! With, with the last specimen spotted in 1902. Oh my god, I was not yeah. expecting that. Okay. Yep, they are not around anymore. Well, you know, you overreach like that and you find <laughs> out what happens. Yeah. Right? It's all about dreaming big, but nobody talks about what happens when you fly too close to the sun and fall into the ocean. Is that enough of a mixed metaphor for you? I, th- I think so. It's more along the lines of the fact that uh, farms took over where they used to live. And so with farmers, you know, tilling the field and planting mm-hmm. crops, their egg their egg hatcheries were completely destroyed. And as we know... Uh, an animal can't survive without its habitat unless they can adapt very quickly. And uh, 30 years is not a long enough time to adapt. So, yeah, they were completely wiped out by 1902. So if I want to go around my house with a flamethrower eliminating grasshopper <laughs> nests, I would have to look at the ground. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Yes. They, they, they use an ovipositor and they deposit their eggs underground where they wait out the winter, and then hatch when it gets warm in the spring. I'm going to regret asking this, but what is an ovipositor? An ovipositor? Yeah. Uh, It is the... (laughs) So, have you ever looked at the back end of a grasshopper? 
Oh, yeah, Greg, all the time. Uh, I have one right here right now. I'm just looking at the back end. And, okay, uh, so I'm if you look at the back anything. end there, okay. if you look at the back end there yep. on, on a female, uh, they have a special organ that comes out of the back end and deposits eggs uh, in a nest or burrow that they dig. And that special organ is called an ovipositor. I'm, all I can picture is like a reverse mosquito where it's just like spitting eggs out of a tube. Is that so if you OK, so this is a gross, uh, a gross version of it. But, you you know, the film Aliens, when they finally get into the alien nest and they see the alien queen kind of pushing all those eggs out of a thing in her in her abdomen. Yeah. Fascinating that's, that's, documentary. Yeah. Fascinating documentary. Uh that that is an ovipositor. Gotcha. Okay. Well, it's a makes it's sense a now. gross fictionalized version of it, but that is an ovipositor. Uh, many 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 insects have these. This is not unique to grasshoppers. Okay. Well. So. How many other insects swarm like that? Very few, very few, and thank goodness for that. So, uh, interesting grasshopper facts to close this out here. The reason that grasshoppers can jump so high so the fundamental property of muscle right is that it cannot contract with high force and high velocity at the same time okay so like you can't do a push-up that can shove you you know off the ground and into the ceiling <laughs> because you can't well i can't i know you can but i am extremely uh... <laughs> buff i can do that without even thinking about it <laughs> so what they have is they have um several muscle groups that act like a catapult on themselves okay which is why they can they're not so much jumping as like catapulting themselves around which i love i am not comfortable with that at a all. grasshopper a grasshopper can jump 20 body lengths no in one jump it's too much that's great no. okay uh, they need something sturdy to push off of. That's the that's the key. All right. So this is an undoubtedly disgusting and horrific event. Tell me that's the last time it <laughs> happened since the Rocky Mountain locust is now extinct. Nope. Nope. Great. We've had, as I said at the beginning, we've had to deal with locust swarms uh, forever. Right. And um, the next major locust swarm pops up. Uh, across Palestine and Syria in 1915, uh, which caused a famine in the Lebanon region, lasting for three years, killing around 200,000 people. Uh, so, and this is a different locust, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a different. That's a different locust. Same idea, though. The, same idea. the The key. The key to controlling an outbreak of locusts mm -hmm. is basically to uh, monitor and destroy the species before they start swarming. Right. So uh, in the past, this was done with pesticides and a bunch of other things. Uh, some, sometimes people would uh, overtill their land in an effort to destroy eggs. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes people would take flamethrowers to the uh, swarms as they began. Yeah, I mean, uh, you want to be sure. Yeah, I mean, that, that would might start. But uh, a relatively recent 
a relatively recent tactic has mm-hmm. met with great success. It is a fungal spore of a certain species of fungus. Okay. What it, what you do is you spray this fungus into the breeding areas. The <laughs> okay. fungal spores uh, basically grab onto the locus exoskeleton mm-hmm. and then burrow their way in and kill the the locust. Okay. The fungus then is passed from insect to insect, and it tends to stay localized, so you don't have to like keep re-spraying like you'd have to do with a pesticide or something. In an outbreak in Tanzania in 2009, mm-hmm. about 10,000 hectares in the Ikukatavi National Park was infested with adult locusts. Mm-hmm. The outbreak was contained using this fungal spore method. And all of the other life forms in the area were unharmed. So that is actually very, very, very promising okay. as a method moving forward uh, to control these outbreaks from happening. Because when they do happen, they always just it, the devastation is unreal. It's like setting fire to a country. Only so, worse because well, then you have to deal with all the dead bodies. Then you have to deal with all the dead locusts, but they are edible. So, you know. Sure. Um, uh, so, is there a potential for the food chain to get messed up if we're using fungus on locusts? Of course there is. There's no way to tell. Because what... it does sound like the beginning of a terrible... Sure. <laughs> the About the only thing idea. that is... Well... So the only thing that makes this not a completely terrible idea Mm -hmm. is the fact that locusts breed very quickly and very easily. Okay. So in, well, grasshoppers. So in their environment, when they're not being destructive, Mm -hmm. uh, they tend to be just fine. Sure. This, This sort of fungus only gets introduced to them when they start to exhibit swarming behaviors. And when that happens, uh, once that, you know, once the life cycle of the fungus burns out after it's killed the locusts, then they're just, the next generation is just back to being grasshoppers. So that has been the results so far. Okay. It doesn't seem like it's enough to, it doesn't seem like it's enough to disrupt food webs, but it's, you know, it's still a relatively new process. Uh, I mean, if it it definitely sounds better than having your entire farm eaten down to the bone. And it's better than spraying them with a bunch of pesticides that are dangerous to humans as well. So when have uh, pesticides ever hurt humans? Right. Sure. <laughs> okay. So um, locusts are eaten around the world. They are considered meat by many countries. Okay. There is a way to have them uh, cooked so that they are kosher. Is it in butter with pepper and salt? I'm not sure, actually. I didn't look into that. In uh, the Islamic religion, eating locusts is considered halal. Really? Um, yep. Oh, that's interesting. The, the Torah in the uh, Judaic religion disallows the use of most insects as food, but permits the the eating of locusts why what makes them better than i don't other know insects? but that is an interesting it's just an interesting little thing hmm. to keep with religions apparently john the baptist 
ate locusts and wild honey while living in the wilderness. Okay. There you go. You're going to laugh at me, but up until this very moment, I always assumed that locust was like a kind of plant. Locust and honey. Wild locust and honey. (laughs) Yeah, nope. It's it's a grasshopper. John, that's so gross. Eh, Oh, it's very resourceful. They have they have a lot of a lot of they have a lot of protein. Uh, sure, and they have huge hind legs. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, locusts very chewy. Locusts have about five times more edible protein per unit than cattle do, okay. and they produce much lower levels of greenhouse gases in the process. So uh, that's. You know, pretty good. There's a lot of good fatty acids. There's some good stuff in locusts. So, uh, you know, if if you're thinking of giving up eating cows for a bit, why not try some bugs? Well, you know what? I'm actually inspired to uh, take our earnings from this podcast and uh, buy a food truck. What do you think? We can go around the country and offer locust snacks. Uh, With yeah, well, fungus sauce. Oh. <laughs> Come on, we can do it up with pasta. We can have a locust lollipop. Uh, locust studded brownies. They do sell uh, sweet grasshoppers, which is a locust that's rolled in either honey or liquid sugar and allowed to solidify. And you, you're supposed to kind of crunch it like candy. See, okay. See, I started this episode thinking that I would not be interested in eating locusts, but I'm not going to lie. That sounds pretty good. It's, it's worth the experience at least. Usually when foods start out with dipped in sugar. <laughs> yeah. And dipped fried. In sugar or fried in butter. Yep. I'm usually willing to give it a try. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. So there are various organizations around the world that monitor the locust threat. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Australia, they have an official plague locust commission. Oh, boy. uh, Because Australia's um, climate and especially their farmlands are extremely susceptible to swarming locusts. So they have to keep that uh, under control. Yep. So little Australia fact for our Australian friends. So that's it. That's the Locust Plague of 1874. I'm hungry and itchy. Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't I don't like it. <laughs> either of those feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Horrifying. Horrifying and uh, terrifying, Greg. Thank you. Yeah. Ugh, okay. Although we give you slightly exaggerated credentials at the top of the show, we do check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know. You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to shame us publicly, go ahead. Why not use our Instagram at relative.disasters? Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion. And please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and hopefully interesting event from history. My sister has selected our next disaster. What's it going to be, Ella? Well, Greg, as you know, we celebrate one holiday and one holiday only on this podcast. (laughs) Uh, We look at the vernal equinox. We choose a date randomly from the next week. And we decide to... Do our best research 
our most yes. intensive research. Um, I actually hate to tell you how many air miles I have racked up. Oh, this was a miles. personal research project for you? Yeah, I uh, okay. had to do a lot of translating, a lot of okay. uh, interviews. This was a very tough, tough uh, thing to research, but I am okay. ready to go. We're actually going to give this to you a little early because we're so excited about it. Oh, excellent. Uh, this excellent. next episode will be available on Friday, the 1st of April. Uh-huh. Are you going to tell me anything about it, or is this just going to be a complete surprise? I don't know. Would you like to be surprised, or would you like me to uh, give you a little You know hint? what? Surprise me. No, surprise okay. me. Okay. Surprise me. I'm going to go into this blind. I'm, I'm really excited about this. This sounds amazing, and I can't wait to talk about it with you.